Good morning, Trailview. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? From Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name, and worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The, glor- the God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful, and the voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, all cry, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as a king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. This is the word of the Lord. Seaton, as you do, I encourage you to open your Bible up to Psalm 29, if you have one. Um, and as you're doing that, uh, let me ask you a question to consider. Uh, maybe think in your mind of a moment that this happened. Uh, when was the last time that you experienced something that you couldn't help but tell somebody else about? When was the last time you experienced something that you couldn't help but tell somebody else about? Maybe it's something you ate. You ate some food and it was so amazing or so terrible, typically one or the other, that you couldn't either help but tell someone they have to eat this or that they should never eat this. I've experienced like that. Uh, We were in Indonesia when I was a youth pastor, took a group of students to, no, Malaysia, took a group of students to Malaysia. And in Malaysia, they have this fruit they call the king's fruit. It's durian. And my encouragement is that none of you ever eat it again in your life. Uh, It is either your absolute favorite fruit or uh, should never be eaten by anyone on the planet. It's, it, it will make you say something about it when you eat it. Uh, involuntarily, uh, it will. Uh, maybe it was a show you watched that you were like, oh, this was so good, or a movie you watched. I have a friend that every time he goes and sees something, he messages me about it. Every time. It was so cool. It was so good. Oh, you got to watch uh, Every time he watches something, he says something to me about it. Uh, maybe it was uh, an experience you had. You went on a trip or you went skydiving or uh, you went on a vacation or, or you, you saw something. Uh, maybe it was a place you went. Maybe it was a, it was a trip you went, you saw uh, maybe the Grand Canyon or maybe you went uh, to the mountains or to the beach or, or on a cruise or something you did that you could not help but when you came back or, or after you had experienced that, you could not help but tell someone else about it. Some of us are more prone to vocalizing those things than others, but all of us have deep within us this natural, uh, created in us, desire uh, to tell others about the things that we've experienced, about the things that we've eaten, about good things or bad things. Why? The reason because God has designed us as His creatures to do that very thing. 
He has created us in His image to naturally, as His image bears, and intentionally in how we live and function on the earth in such a way that we can't help but bring glory and praise to bring attention and recognition to things that we experience. Uh, I do this all the time. You do this. Uh, maybe it's something you ate or TV show or something you experienced, whatever it may be, where we want others to hear about what we've done, what we've experienced, what we've, where we've been, maybe what we got or received. This thing that happened to us, a relationship, a conversation that we had. This is why we do baby announcements and wedding and stuff. This is why we do all of those things, because we want to celebrate and share. Why? Because God created us to be creatures who bring glory, who give glory and praise. He created us that way. And here's the cool part of this. Uh, we love doing it. Like, we love telling people about the things that we've experienced that were amazing. We love doing that. It feels good. We enjoy doing that. Because when we do that, we're functioning the way that God intended us to. To be beacons of glory, that point towards glorious things, that sing praise to glorious things. We're created by God to give glory and praise. We are. We're created to worship. The problem then in lies when we neglect to bring glory and praise to the one who ultimately deserves it, God. When our lives, because of sin, are bent, are crooked, our nature is bent out of intended form to where we bring glory and praise to other things, ourselves, in replacement of God. Um, John Piper, a uh, retired pastor, theologian, uh, kind of the thing that he has beaten, the drum he has beaten his entire life in ministry has been this. We are most satisfied when God is most glorified in us. That our lives find the most joy and satisfaction when God is most glorified in us. Not when we are most glorified, the lie we believe. I'll be satisfied if people would approve of me, sing my praise. I'll be satisfied if, if I can find comfort in something and just tell somebody else about it. Maybe they'll find comfort for their good. Like we, we, we are distorted by sin to think that we are satisfied in um, our own glory or the glory of the world, but we are most satisfied when God is most glorified in us. And in the Psalms, um, like they always do, they bring to surface the emotions, the feelings, the real-life moments and circumstance that we find ourselves in. They unearth along with that truths and lies that we believe so that they can instruct our hearts towards God in the particular component or aspect that they're bringing to the surface. And a lot of the Psalms, uh, specifically Psalm 29, bring to the surface this reality that we are made to glorify and praise our good God. That we are created to glorify, to bring glory to, and to praise our 
good God. And so much that it does this, that it actually is a psalm that not only brings to light this reality, that shows us where it's happening in the world, but it commands us to do it. That it commands us to do what we're created to do. To bring glory and praise to our good God. So here's, here's the main point for this morning. Uh, this main point for this morning is this. God alone is worthy of glory and praise. That's the main point for this morning. God alone is worth, worthy of glory and praise. And we're going to walk through Psalm 29. And we're going to see three particular points that fall into this. One, God is glorious. Two, God came to make His glory known. And three, an exhortation for us to glorify God with our lives. To obey this command. To glorify Him in our lives. And so let's look at that first point. The main point of the whole thing, God alone is worthy of glory and praise. And the first point, God is glorious. And look with me in verse 1 and 2. As we look at this, it says this in verse 1 and 2. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. The word ascribe here. Not a word we use very often in English. We're walking around, talking to our family, talking to our friends. You should ascribe your rent to give it or whatever. We don't use that word. The word ascribe means to come and give. It means to come and and give. And, And it's a word that he uses three times in a row in this psalm. Ascribe to the Lord. O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord, glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord, the glory do His name. This, this threefold um, telling of us to come and give glory and give praise to our God uh, is meant to communicate an intensity about it. Uh, these are all uh, the same word repeated, and, and it's a verb meaning to command. This. So it's not a, hey, if you feel like it, come and praise God and glorify Him. Hey, come and come to God and give Him praise and glory if you feel like it or you got some extra time or whatnot. No, it's, it's a explicit, it's an imperative command that He says three times in a row, implying the intensity by which we're being told to do this. And one, one pastor said it this way The threefold use of the imperative here is the syntactical throwing down of the polemic gauntlet to any who would withhold from the Lord that which is due Him and only Him. Glory. It it, it begins this intensity of saying, come, you must come and give glory to God. And you must come and give glory to God. And you must come and give glory to God and only to God. An intensity and and an only due location for that glory and praise. Him and Him alone. The psalm begins with that exhortation in heaven. That he, He says, O heavenly beings. Some of your translations may say sons of God. It's talking about angels. It's saying, come to and praise and give glory to God. Angels of heaven, you heavenly beings. We consider this. There are angels in heaven that from all of eternity past and all of eternity forever to come 
the only thing that they do is praise God. The, uh, they never cease to glorify, sing, and praise God. And some of us, maybe more efficient or effective driven people, might say that's a questionable use of angelic resources. <laughs> Couldn't the angels do some like, more helpful things for us? Or we, we, may, we may chase our minds that way if we're honest. Like, is that really a good use of angelic resources for them to just stand there and sing? Those guys probably could do some amazing stuff. And the reality is, there is nothing more worthy. Nothing more worth their time and energy for all of eternity than to sing praise and give glory to God. These are angelic beings. It guides us in that moment, thinking about angelic beings that are just praising God, to go. What, what else do angels praise? Nothing. For us to stop and go, okay, that must mean that God is so glorious that there's nothing else in all of the world that is worthy of praise. If the angels do nothing but endless praise and glory. To God. That if the heavenly beings, they don't come down and cheerlead for you and your football team. Angels in the outfield's not real. They don't show up to bend the foul pole so your team can win the pennant. They glorify and praise our good God. Because He and He alone is glorious. He and He alone is worthy of glory and praise. And the Scriptures echo this from cover to cover. Psalm 19.1 says this. It'll be up on the screen. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies above proclaim His handiwork. That creation declares the glory of our God. That if you uh, you've heard, if you've listened to some of the sermons from Brandon over the last year, you've heard him on repeat talk about the stars, the galaxies, the McDonald Observatory. You've probably heard the story. Why? Because he, it's a story worth telling, and we like to tell stories. It's part of the why, why the Lord's created us, to tell stories of His glory, and creation is doing that. That when we see things in the world that cause us to stop in awe, it's a moment where creation is beckoning us forward to glorify and praise the one who made it. Creation declares his glory. We are created to declare the glory and praise of a glorious, the only God who is glorious. So much that he has created us as his image bearers to do this very thing, to reflect like the moon does the sun's light, to reflect the glory of God. The moon doesn't create or generate light of its own. It reflects into darkness the light of the sun that already exists. In the same way, we as image bearers are intended not to generate light of our own that would cause any glory for us, but just to simply reflect the light of God into the darkness of the world. And we do this when the gospel brings transformation into us and restores us as image bearers of God. It's so much that 2 Corinthians 10, uh, 2.10, which will be up on the screen, 
says this. It says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That word workmanship is the same Greek word used to describe art. Like sculptures and paintings. That we are His workmanship. The, the pinnacle of His creation intended to reflect His glory, to declare His glory in our work, in our words, in our life. And only in Christ are we restored with the ability to then reflect, like a good art piece does, the glory of the artist. We're meant to display His glory. Yesterday I sat down, I thought about bringing this, but I thought it would be embarrassing to me. Um, Yesterday, Joanna, my daughter, was insistent that we color before I had to leave and go to a meeting in the evening. And so we sat down at the kitchen table and or the counter, and uh, she has this princess book, and I'm coloring the left half, she's coloring the right half, and we got our markers out, and we're coloring. And uh, I'm, I'm doing my best. Like, I'm legit. I'm giving. I'm not just like, everything's green here. I'm, I'm doing my best to pick the right colors and make Cinderella and Prince Charming look like they do in the movies, the whole, the whole nine yards. Doing my best. Um, she's coloring the whole page pink. Like, everything. Whatever, Aurora, I think it was, she told me, um, was pink from head to toe. Uh, and what does Joanna do afterwards? Daddy, look, look at my picture, look at my picture. And I'm like, yeah, look at mine. Look at mine. <laughs> uh, when we... Um, when we, as God's created beings, say... Look at me, look at me, look at me. Look what I've done, look what I've done. Look what I can do. In comparison, asking for glory and praise. That's what we're doing in that moment. We're asking for glory and praise for us. And our artwork reflects our worth for glory and praise. If you were to hold up that picture next to an actual artist painting, uh, a Monet or something, uh, nobody would probably think it belongs in a museum. It doesn't. Um, is her daddy proud? Sure, absolutely. Did I enjoy that moment with her? Absolutely. Um, but we are created not to seek our own glory and praise by saying, look what I can do. Look at who I am. We are created by God, who is glorious, to bring praise and glory to Him. Not by saying, look what I can do, but by saying, look what He has done. Look what He has done in me. Look what He has done in my life. Look what He has done in this moment, in time, in history. But we oftentimes... Choose to rob God of the glory due His name for ourselves. To, to receive for us praise and glory 
that is due only to our good God. And that we oftentimes lose sight of the glory of God and default to a place of, look at me, look at me, look at me, look what I've done. And seek the glory and the praise of other people, robbing it from a jealous, goodly jealous God. In that moment, that person whom we want to glorify us and praise us will never be satisfied in your glory, but only in God. God is glorious. So glorious that the heavenly beings for all of eternity are not wasting their time by singing His praise and glory forever and ever. God is so glorious that it's not overreaching for Psalms 29 to say to you and I with a three-time intensity, come and glorify and praise your good God. God alone is worthy of our praise. God alone is worthy of glory because He is glorious and He created us to be beacons of that glory to the world around us. Sin comes in, disrupts, distorts, and begins to rob the glory to God by saying, no, look at me. And so what did God do? The second point, God came. When, when His creation failed to make Him glorious, to reflect His glory and praise, He came to make His own glory known. That's the second point for this morning. This morning. God came to make His glory known. And there's an interesting way, like the, a lot of the Psalms do, they use uh, illustrations and metaphors and these kinds of things to bring imagery, much like our songs do, much like songs you sing in the car, much like love ballads or country music or, or others that you sing, they use metaphors and illustrations that nobody would actually say are real, but they communicate emotion and truth. And in the same way, he uses, in verses 3 through 9, a metaphor to parallel the way in which God has come to make His glory known. And that's a storm, a thunderstorm. In verse 3 it says this, follow along with me. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Siron like a young wild goat. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer to give birth and strips the forest bare. And in His temple all cry, Glory. This psalm is uh, historically believed to be a psalm of victory. Similar to in uh, Exodus 15 or in Judges 5 where you have uh, these songs that they would sing after a victory declaring glory and praise to the one who has brought about that victory. Think of, if you're familiar with, 
um, the, the people singing as David re-entered after destroying the Philistines, killing Goliath, that whole deal. Saul slays thousands, but David slays ten thousands. That's a victory cry that the people were singing as their king ushered back in. This is similar in its structure to that kind of psalm. That it's a psalm that is intentionally, metaphorically, uh, singing and shouting victory towards the one who has provided victory. And that being God and God alone. And God came in such a way, victorious, to make His glory known. Uh, anybody ever lived in the path of a hurricane? If you, cool. <laughs> Thanks, Siri. Um, don't do it again. <laughs> uh, if you've ever lived in the path of a hurricane, uh, and you saw the forecast, uh, the looming uh, storm on the Gulf—probably, maybe not—if you're not from that area. The weather models showing the path of the storm and its intensity as it's growing or when they project for it to dwindle. When a powerful thunderstorm is on the horizon or a hurricane is on the horizon, what does a wise person do? They leave or take shelter, right? Yes. Why? Because storms, thunderstorms, demand respect for their power. Because a thunderstorm, it comes upon the land and it enacts its will and desire upon it. That it comes in powerful wave, powerful wind, powerful noise. Why are we naturally scared of thunder? Because it's loud, and by, by nature, thunderstorms demand our attention. That something serious is going on. Have you ever been sitting in your house and been like, is that raining? Boom! Yeah, it's raining. Yeah, it's raining. Yeah, it's raining. <laughs> Nobody's questioning it now. Thunderstorms demand, because of their power and their intensity, they demand our attention and respect for their power. They display power. And they command our attention. And, and poetically, this psalm seven times uses the word, the voice of the Lord, similar in metaphoric language, poetically talking about the voice of the Lord like the thunder of a storm that comes and it's loud and it's repetitive. Boom, 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 boom. The loud, cracking thunder of a storm demands our attention. The, the, the wind of a storm snaps the strongest of trees, breaking and bending them over. The cedars of Lebanon referring to a historic forest. The booming horizon coming thunderstorm causes young calves to scurry and run. My dogs do this. They hear the thunder, what do they do? They run and hide. 
They sit under your legs. We've had one, Fourth of July is a good example of this. There's no thunderstorm, but it sure does sound like one, and it's not letting up. And so what does my dog do? Run. Aimlessly, in chaos, because the, the loud, booming demands our attention. The flashing of flames, lightning, cracking, spreading across the sky, striking the ground, igniting in, in an instant trees and fire. The winds shaking the wilderness. Think tornadoes, think hurricanes. And strips the forest bare. Anybody ever, uh, that, that springtime storm when it hails a lot and you drive around town afterwards, what's all over the ground? Leaves. A few years ago, there was a, uh, a bad hailstorm up where my in-laws live in Keller. We drove up there the next day, and like everywhere, there's just leaves all on the ground. As the hail just pummeled the trees, and the wind blew and ripped the leaves from the tree. That when a thunderstorm comes, it demands our attention because of the power that they hold. In the same way this psalm is metaphorically showing that God comes like a storm in power. That God, His advent, the advent and coming of the Lord is one of power to make Himself known. A storm comes in power, in noise, in wind, in rain, in lightning, in hail. And no one can deny it's there. In the same way, God came in, namely, the person of Jesus, in power to make Himself known to all the earth. There is no greater display of the coming of the actual glory of God than the person and cross of Jesus. No more visible place where we see the glory of our God than in Him. Storms change landscapes, sometimes forever. No storm has brought about this, the comparable kind of change to the landscape of history like the coming of Jesus Christ. Think about it. Jesus came and displayed the glory of God in His miracles. He defied physics as God in flesh, and did powerful miracles with one intended purpose, so that people would glorify God. Jesus showed unmatched compassion and mercy to people. Why? So that they would glorify God. Jesus 
taught in such a way that left people's jaws open in awe of who is this man who teaches with such authority. Why? So that people would know the glory of God. Jesus came, died on a cross and rose from the dead for one intended purpose, so that we would know the glory of God. Jesus willingly takes, took your sin when you were his enemies upon himself. That Jesus died a brutal death to take the wrath of God that you and I deserve because of sin upon himself. That Jesus rose from the dead three days later to secure eternal life for all those who believe. Why? To make the glory of God known to all people. There's nothing in all of history or time as as transforming, as changing as Jesus. And it would be foolish Just like it's foolish for a person to disregard a storm. It's foolish of a person to disregard the glory of God in the person of Jesus. My encouragement to you this morning is if you have not, that you would put your faith and trust in Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, who created all things, that is preeminent over them all, who willingly gave himself so that you might have forgiveness of sin and eternal life. He is the display, the most vivid picture. He is God. And in flesh, the most visible picture of the glory of our God. In his character, in his actions, in his willingness to sacrifice himself, in his power to resurrect from the dead and to provide resurrection from the dead for all of us. My encouragement to you today would be that you would believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you have, that you would remember the glory of our God that we see in the gospel of Jesus. God came in the person of Jesus like a storm demanding the world's attention so that we would know his glory. There's two things typically that lead us or cause us to be blind to the glory of God. And typically these are things that Satan uses as an attempt to cause us to be blind to the glory of God. One of them is suffering and pain. That when we experience suffering and pain, we oftentimes lose sight of the glory of God. When we experience loss, disappointment, 
when we experience physical, emotional, relational pain and suffering, it oftentimes causes us to lose sight of the glory of God. The other one is when we experience comfort and pleasure. Because when we experience comfort and pleasure, we see no need for the glory of God. Because we have everything we need. Both of them oftentimes can be places where we find ourselves, where we become, we become blind to the glory of God. Become blind or at least hazy to see how good and glorious our God is. My encouragement to you this morning is, is that through, whether it's suffering or pain or whether comfort and pleasure, if you find yourself in one of those places, is to fight to see your God today. To fight today to see His glory. To fight today to see all that He has done. That would cause us to just find ourselves in a posture and place of awe of who our God is. Of what our God has done. Of what He has promised to do. To not say, hey, look at me, but to pause for a moment and say, look at our good God and give glory and praise to Him. God alone is worthy of glory and praise. He is glorious and He came to make His glory known in an undeniable, like a storm, powerful way in the person of Jesus. Which leads us to our last point. God's glorious nature, His glorious move, should move us to glorify Him in our lives. This is verses 10 and 11. It says this, The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as King forever. May the Lord give strength to His people. May the Lord bless His people with peace. This psalm, it has a... Um, stepping down nature to it. That it begins where? Ascribe to the Lord in the heavens. And it comes down into creation. The, the, the metaphor of the storm and God moving to come so He would be known. And it finishes with us. May He give strength to His people. May He bless His people with peace, that it finishes with His people from a posture and place of saying, yes, our God is glorious. Yes, He has come to make Himself known. He alone is worthy of glory. So I will ascribe to the Lord. Come and give to Him praise and glory. He is commanding. He is drawing us in. He is he's insisting upon our attention and invites us with the heavenly choirs, to sing for His glory and His praise. And our aim is twofold here. Our aim with glorifying God in our lives is twofold. One, that we would glorify God in our whole being. And two, that the glory of the Lord would be to the ends of the earth. That it would begin here, that God would be glorified in my whole being, 
and then it would move outward into my hands that the glory of the Lord would extend to the ends of the earth. Uh, I want to ask before we dive into God being glorified in our whole being, uh, if you were to um, pause for a few moments or asked a, uh, ask a significant friend uh, or, or your spouse to ask them, hey, what, what is the thing that my life is most glorifying? Like, what is it in my life, in the world, that my life is drawing the most attention, direction, praise, and glory toward? Like, what is that thing? To pause and, and do that evaluation first of well, what is the thing? If I look at my life, the way I spend my time, the way I spend my resources, my money, the way I, uh, I prioritize my family's activities, if I have a family, the way that I, I steward my marriage or my parenting or my singleness, the way I, I do my work, what is the thing in my life that I am actually bringing the most attention, glory, and praise toward? To ask that evaluative question. Because for each of us, created image bearers of God, restored in the person of Jesus to the ability to glorify God, we ought to glorify God with our whole beings. And here's the deal. It's the most satisfying way to live your life. It's the way we're intended to live our lives. But how do we do that? Well, 2 Corinthians 3.8 says that if we behold the glory of the Lord in the person of Jesus, we are transformed. So it begins with us beholding the glory of God. That we, If we are going to be people who glorify God with our lives, it begins with us beholding the glory of our God. That we, on regular, consistent rhythm, as we gather together as a church, we see, savor, remember, reflect, and we are in awe of the glory of our God. To behold Him. To see, to look upon His glory. This is Moses on Mount Sinai. God, could I just see your glory? And he hides him in the rock and says, you can see my backside. It's a little odd. And he's transformed, physically glowing, when he comes down the mountain. Has to wear a veil over his face so people can look at him. Why? Because he saw the glory of the Lord. We, by faith in Jesus, can behold that same glory of our God. And it begins there. My encouragement to you is, if you want to, which you should, uh, and are commanded to, and will be most satisfied in glorifying God in your whole being, that it begins by us daily beholding the glory of our Lord. To stop. To practice the spiritual disciplines, which are just rhythms and patterns of beholding. To stop in prayer. To think in silence and solitude, about who our God is and how we've seen Him work. To, to cry out to Him in prayer. To read in His Word. 
to fast so that we long for our God more than food. To cultivate a hunger for Him. To Sabbath and rest as we reflect on the glory of our God. And we don't work because He never stops. When we gather together as a church, we come to behold the glory of our God. The person of Jesus is the most vivid place we can behold the glory of God. His word and his people come next. It begins with beholding him. Another way that we do this is by singing. By singing to our God, we glorify him. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jew or to Greek or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. That he exhorts us to, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, glorify God. That our entire lives be to the end and aim of God's glory and praise. How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, it begins by us recognizing that everything that I have and everything that I've received is a gift from God. It starts in a posture of gratitude and thankfulness towards God for everything we have and everything we are. It moves us there to lifting up our voices to let others know how great our God is that He would give us these things. By remembering that we don't deserve any of this, but actually deserve the wrath of God. But in the person of Jesus, I am His Son, and He is my Father, and He gives good things. By remembering Jesus and by sharing those gifts to be enjoyed by others who also join in glorifying our God. That we can enjoy and glorify our God in every component of our life, be that our work, or our food, or our drink, or our friendship, or our leisure, or our rest, or our watching a movie, whatever it may be by posturing our hearts towards God for His glory, His praise. The last thing that I want us to lean into is this. Glorifying God with our whole lives means an intentional aim for the glory of the Lord to the ends of the earth. An intentional aim in our lives for the glory of God to spread throughout the whole earth that more men and women and children would experience the transforming gospel of Jesus and come in glad obedience to praise and glorify our good God. The single purpose of God in His coming was His glory. And He works that glory out throughout the world by creating, by rescuing, and redeeming his people intended to reflect His glory to the ends of the earth. You and I. The means by which God intends on His glory to spread to the ends of the earth. Across the street. In the classroom. 
to our family. Matthew 5, 16 says this. In the same way, this is after Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, the light of the world, a city on a hill. It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That they would see you and not glorify you, but glorify your good God. To praise Him. For us to live our lives in such a way that the way we speak, that the way that we act, the things that we do, point others to the glory of our good God. So that they would too come to faith in Him and give glory to our good God. Psalm 29 commands three times over, and there is sufficient reason for. And it commands us to glorify and praise our good God in all of our lives to the ends of the earth. God alone is worthy of glory and praise. We by nature are designed to do this thing, to glorify Him. And it's the most satisfying thing we can do. Let me pray for us. We'll move in time of response. A time for us to, to sing to our glorious God. A time for us to praise Him for all that He has done. A time for us to confess where we've robbed Him of His glory and sought it of our own. Let me pray. Father, we thank You so much. God, we praise You for You are a glorious God. God, we thank You for coming in power to make Your glory known. God, we thank You for inviting us to participate in this ends of the earth mission to see Your glory throughout all the earth. God, would you bring to light today uh, who may be that one person that you have put us near so that they might see your glory in us and put their faith and trust in you? So they might hear of your glory in the person of Jesus and the way that we speak and share the gospel? God, would you uh, be glorified in us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.